Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and open up to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And uh, if you're using that one, it's going to be on page 621. Uh, We just want to make sure everyone's got their eyes on Scripture. So whether that's a digital Bible or a hard copy, it doesn't matter to me. Just make sure it Uh, You have your eyes on the Word of God. Uh, That goes for those of you online with us as well. Good morning. Welcome to those of you joining us in that way. We're thankful that you are here uh, with us uh, through that means. Um, A couple of quick things just additionally for you you as a church to know and uh, to give praise for and also to be in prayer for. Um, you might, uh, you might have noticed, and uh, maybe not, but you might have noticed we're missing a, a group of our, uh, high school students, and that's because, uh, Brandon and some of the youth leaders took a group of high schoolers to Ignite Conference. That's something they do each year. Uh, they're gonna be coming back today, so be praying for the impact of that as they come back and seek to apply, uh, the biblical truth that they've learned and stepped into over, uh, this weekend to daily life and, uh, for safe travels as they come back. Uh, this coming Thursday, uh, our, our Africa team is leaving for Africa. And so, uh, a praise. As of now, all flights are arranged. Everything's in order. Visas are here. And uh, you, as the church body, have been so increasingly generous, not just uh, in supporting this team, but then in the amount of stuff they are taking with them uh, for the Burkheads, uh, who are sent, a sent part of our family dwelling in the jungle of Africa. Uh, and I know the conversations this last week was trying to figure out how they were going to fit their actual clothing needs in and amongst all of the stuff that they're taking with them. So uh, thank you for those of you who've given so generously to the Burkheads in this. Um, the last thing I just want to mention to you guys uh, is actually uh, a, a few weeks ago, uh, we, we talked about and sent out uh, ways that uh, the church uh, can support uh, the ongoing increasing refugee crisis in Ukraine and the situation there. Uh, we sent that to you via what the EFCA, the Evangelical Free Church of America, is doing uh, corporately in crisis response. And I wanted to just update you, in two weeks' time, the EFCA alone has raised $205,000 for refugee crisis in Ukraine, which is just amazing to me. And I wanted to pass that along and let you know there's an increasing a need there that you can partner with. And so if you're interested in that tangible way of uh, partnering as the church with brothers and sisters on the other side of the world and uh, be involved, talk to me, let me know. Um, there's some links that we can get to you and how to pray and how you can financially support what's going on. Um, and that's that's a way we can 
where the rubber meets the road, not just be people who talk about these things, but people who take action in it. And so uh, praise the Lord for what he's already doing, but we need to continue to pray uh, for what's happening there and uh, seek the Lord uh, for his comfort and for his peace and for uh, Lord uh, ultimately resolution in this. Uh, it burdens me so much to see all that's happening there. Um, <clears throat> so, in fact, we're just going to pause a minute. Let's pray. Um, I just every time this gets brought up, this church, this should cause us a great deal of remorse and grief. And um, oftentimes, my wife and I were having this conversation last night. Oftentimes, because it's so far away and we are distanced from that, and we haven't seen change to our daily living, we don't often take seriously how this is impacting our brothers and sisters in Christ, how this is impacting people around the world. So let's just pause a minute and let's go to the Lord and uh, commit this to Him. And uh, before we jump into the Word this morning, Father, I uh, come to You today and Lord, uh, as we think about these things, we recognize just how vast the struggles we face are. And we, in the midst of that, intersect with who you are, that you are the sovereign God over all things. Lord, you are trustworthy, you are merciful, you are gracious, you're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Father, we ask that you would uh, intervene in the midst of this. Uh, Lord, that you would bring uh, a reconciliation here and an end to bloodshed and violence and uh, Lord, so many who are in turmoil, who've lost everything, who've left everything, and yet, God, we know and we hold fast to the promise that you are, are you are with us in, in every season. And so, Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine who are struggling in the midst of this. They would sense an an enormous peace come over them as a result of who you are and your presence in the midst of this. God, I pray the same. For those in Russia who are just confused and don't understand and have no power or control over what is happening, God, that you would bring up people to a place of repentance in this and transformation. God, that you would uh, bring about uh, the hope of Christ in the midst of the dark season. And uh, Lord, help us to see what role we can play as the church in the midst of this to intersect with brokenness and hurting. And ultimately, carry out the mission you've given us for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are uh, in our second week of the series focused on worship. And really seeking to define what what is biblical worship. Uh, What does this look like? Not just in thought, but in practice. And last week we sought to define what is worship and Uh, If you didn't join us, I'm going to summarize it very simply uh, with kind of our main series idea. And worship uh, can be all of life when we see God for who he has revealed himself to be. When we see God for who he's revealed himself to be, all of life becomes worship. Now, ultimately, if we really get down to it, and you want a simple, even even simpler definition, worship is simply to bow before an authority. Okay, 
Worship is to literally humble myself in light of another and bow to them. And so as we continue in this, ultimately the question I want to ask today is, um, why should we worship? So if we've defined what is it, I want to answer the question why, then next week I want to answer the biblical question, how should we worship? What does scripture say we should do? And then the last week that we focus on this, we're going to look at Romans 12 and go, what does it look like practically for all of life to be worship? That's the, that's the kind of roadmap to where we're going, okay? And as I was thinking about this, um, I was reminded of a, of a story, an illustration that's been used numerous times, and I'm not sure who the original author was of this, but in thinking about asking this question, why, why do we do what we do? It's an important question to ask. And the story goes that there's this young girl who is watching her mother prepare a ham for a family dinner. And as she's watching the mother prepare this ham, she noticed that her mother cuts the ends off of the ham on both sides. And so she asked her mother, why why do you cut the ends off of the ham before you cook it? And the mother simply says, well, I don't I don't really know. I I assume that it causes the ham to soak up more of the juices as it cooks. Um, You know, I, I watched my mom do that. And so I learned this from her. Why don't you call Call your grandma and ask her. And so this little girl calls her grandmother and says, Grandma, uh, Mom cut the ends off of the ham before she put it in the oven. And I was just wanting to know, why why did you do that? She said, well, I watched my mom do this. And I kind of assumed that it helped the ham soak up more new juices and taste better. But it was my mom who kind of did that. So you you should call your great-grandmother and see what she says about this. So the little girl, still intrigued, calls her great-grandmother and asks, my mom and grandma both cut the ends off of the ham, and I'm just wondering, is it so that it absorbs juices? What? Why do we do this? And the grandma said, I don't know why they do it. I always cut the ends off because it wouldn't fit in my pan. <laughs> and this story becomes helpful in articulating the danger of if we just do something because it's what we've already always seen done and that's where tradition sets in and tradition is by no means bad but it can become dangerous if we don't know why we do it and the same can be true when we think about worship in the context of the local church when we think about why do we do the things we do when we get together why is this the the direction we go. Why why is this? And really what this takes is for you all to stop as well and consider how do I define these these things? If someone approaches me and asks me to define what worship is, how would I respond to that? If someone were to ask you today, why why do you worship? Why do you do this? How would you respond to that? How would we respond to that? And my fear is that oftentimes we don't know. Just like the story would go, we're like this little girl who goes, I don't know, that's what my parents did when I was raised in church, or that's what I've always known, so I just assume this is what... And the danger of that becoming that we would become man-focused rather than God-focused... And especially when we understand the biblical notion that when we see God for who he reveals himself to be, 
all of life can be worship. So I want to break down some of this, and we're going to just sit in Psalm 145 today. And starting in verse 1, this is a song of praise of David. And so if you didn't know this, Psalm, uh, the book of Psalms is a book of songs uh, that would have been sung. And so as we think about it, I want you to think about that as we step into it. And here's what Psalm 145 says. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Now, if it ended here, we should all ask a very simple question. Why? Everyone say, why? And he continues in verse 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Now, in kind of a focus area, why should we worship? The number one reason should be simply this. He is worthy of our worship. Now, understand when I say the word worship, I want you to automatically think of bowing before him in humble submission to his authority. And in the answer to the question, why should we bow to this God that you speak of? Why should we bow or submit to this authority? And as the psalmist says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 emphasizes this even a step further. Where it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Have you ever, I'm curious about this, have you ever fought against the directions your GPS was giving you? How many of you uh, did that because you knew your GPS was wrong. Uh, yeah, see? I know a better way. Um, how many of you have blindly followed your GPS and ended up lost? <laughs> okay, um, here's, here's a cool thing that we need to remember. Your GPS is fallible. <laughs> On the converse side of that, God is not. However, oftentimes when we encounter the God of the Bible, we treat it similar to how we treat our GPS. You know, as long as we're convinced that this route that it gives me is the best route, I'm going to follow what it says. But the minute that I convince myself that there's a better way or that I know where I should be going differently than this, I'm going to abandon that direction 
and do my own thing. Why should we worship and submit to God's authority? Ultimately, because God is higher than I. God knows far beyond what I know. I have to choose to see that. And many of us, if we're honest, struggle with that. It's interesting that if you go from verse 4 to 7, as we just read, God's works are so great and so mighty that one generation shall commend His works to another and declare His mighty acts. His works, His deeds are worth meditating on. And those same works shall speak of the might of His awesome deeds and are worth declaring. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, speaking of God, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. God is worthy. Why should we worship? God is worthy. Now the converse side of that is this. God is worthy. We are Unworthy. Now here's what I'm going to have you do. But you've got to accept it while you dish it out. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you are unworthy. Yeah. Just going to speak that truth. And no, spouses, this does not mean you're telling your spouse you're unworthy of me. None of that. Okay? We're talking about the God, the vertical relationship here. Okay? God is worthy. We are unworthy. Where do we see that? Look at verse 8 and 9. Powerful, powerful truth we should cling to here. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and His mercy is over all that He has made. Have you ever stopped to ponder why God has to be considered gracious and merciful? In what situation would He need to be slow to anger? The reality of this passage brings out the reality that we are fallible, sinful, messy people. God is seen as gracious because we are so difficult. God is seen as merciful because we are so far past what He has called us to, and yet you are still breathing. God abounds in steadfast love. Because as Romans 5 communicates, while we were yet sinning, Christ died for us. You see, the only reason God has to be gracious and merciful and loving is because we are undeserving of any of it. We don't deserve any of it. If we were all living and acting and responding according to what God desired, if we were not walking in our own fleshly sin, there would be no need for His grace or His mercy. He would have no need to be slow to anger or bring swift justice. 
Because we would be in alignment with him. Why should we worship? Why should we submit to the God of all creation? Because he is a holy, righteous, just, gracious, merciful, all-knowing, all-powerful God. And we are sinners. I love this passage in 2 Peter 3.9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I want you to stop for a minute and think about someone right now that you have had the thought, God is going to bring swift justice in their lives someday. In that moment, in the midst of that thought, the first question we should ask, this is really challenging, church family. The first question we should ask is, do I desire that person's salvation more than I desire justice? Do I desire that that person would come to faith in Christ? Or do I just want swift justice? Now, here is... (laughs) If if we're really honest, I believe most of us would say, no, I just want justice. And I resonate with that. In my flesh, that is the first response. I confess that. But that is not God's first response. He is not slow as some counsel us, but he's patient. Everyone say patient. Oh, isn't that word hard? Everyone wants to be patient, but no one likes having to be patient. God lives this out faithfully. And here's what is amazing. God can do both. We, we know that God will bring about justice. He is a just God. His justice, the difference is here, God's just is perfect justice. Ours is fallible. How do I know that? Because every single one of us is fallible. So where do you think our justice is going to be rooted in? Our flesh or His will? Uh, definitely our flesh. God can do both perfectly. To desire both justice for what has been done wrong, while also the desire that that person who committed wrong would reach a repentant state where they're committed fully to what he's called them to. Worship. That they would bow in submission to him. Have you ever considered that the Lord is being patient and gracious to you? Have you ever considered that maybe you are not as far along as you think you are? Do we stop daily and stand in awe of who God is and at the same moment see how utterly weak and helpless we are apart from Him? Do we see that? Let's read on. Verse 10 of Psalm 145. It says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. 
And all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Now I want to pause a minute here because there's significant wordage here that has broad implications for how we are without excuse as to the glory of God. In verse 10, all your works shall give thanks to you. That is, what God does ultimately, He does for His own glory. All the works of God give thanks back to God. And all your saints shall bless you. But catch this in verse 11. They, speaking of the works of God, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to who? The children of man, your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Now, there's two other places that came to mind when I read that. The first was Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. You don't have to look far to see the glory and majesty and power of the Creator of all things, God Himself. It's one of the most amazing pieces of being able to be out in God's creation. But there is a measure of accountability that comes with that in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all, everyone say all, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, that would be his works, so that they are without excuse. Here's the reality. There is no person that will stand before God someday and say, I didn't know you existed. I had no evidence that you existed. Wrong! All creation, all His works give thanks to Him. And isn't it interesting that it takes the created works of God to make known to us, the children of man, His glory and the splendor of His kingdom. Let's look at, I want you to, to keep in mind verse, verse 13, but I'm going to move on to verse 14. Verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. We're going to come back to that. And your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Verse 14, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. 
The Lord is near to all who call on Him. To all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. Simply put, here it is, church. Why should we worship? He sustains, we need sustained. This section of Psalm 145 can be one of the most comforting passages of Scripture. When we think about where God intersects with the most challenging parts of where we're at in whatever season we're encountering. He sustains. We need sustained. Just even to separate this and go, what does the Lord do versus who we are? The Lord upholds all who are falling. The Lord raises up all who are bowed down. The Lord gives their, them, them, speaking of His creation, their food in due season. The Lord satisfies the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways. The Lord is kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him. The Lord fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. The Lord hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him. The Lord will destroy the wicked. Oh, we flip that. Where are we in need of being sustained? We constantly fall. In sorrow and remorse, we bow down. We depend upon the Lord for all we have. We long to be satisfied. We need preserved. So we cry out to the Lord. Or do we? I was reminded of this in a really blatant way. Uh, in, in just the past few weeks. And this, this should be something that just is really a simple reflection of us as people who claim to follow Jesus. Uh, within the last month, month and a half, uh, I was diagnosed with severe sleep apnea. And I stopped breathing in my study 29 times an hour. 29 times an hour. And when, when I heard that, The, uh, the first thing that came to my mind was, wow, no wonder I'm tired. But the second thing that came to my mind was, and yet, when I didn't even know it, the Lord was sustaining my life. And I thought for a moment, how often do we convince ourselves of every single thing that we're in control of and lose sight of every single thing that you are, have no ability to control. We, we are so guilty of that, church family. And there is no one of us sitting here right now that cannot say, I depend on the sustaining power of Creator God. And if you have any doubt about that, I challenge you to go to bed tonight and try to consciously keep breathing yourself. I guarantee you, you won't even think about it. Next time you decide to go on a walk, try to consciously control the beating of your heart. You, you can't do it. And somehow along the way, we've convinced ourselves or really become complacent to the fact that every breath 
is a result of God's sustaining power in our lives. Everything that we have, we have because God has allowed us to. Everything that God has revealed to us about himself is revealed because he's chosen to reveal it to us. He sustains. We need sustained. Now, the last thing I want to come to in the midst of this is back at 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Here is where I want to cap this. Why should we worship? We, wor- we should worship because he is worthy. We are unworthy. We should worship because he sustains. We need sustained. Those are both in and of themselves really legitimate reasons for us to bow in submission to him. We are dependent upon him. But this last one goes even a step further. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Here's the reality. Church family. If you are not in Christ, you are living for a kingdom that is not eternal. If you are not, if you have not surrendered your life to Christ, if you have not committed to say, I need more than myself, then your kingdom is a temporary one that you are dwelling in right now. And it will pass away. You will pass away. Now you might go, how do we know God is eternal? It says his kingdom is eternal. So I want to read these scripture passages one after another. I want you to hear the word of scripture and what it professes about God's eternality. Psalm 102, 11 and 12. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. Verses 25 and 27. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. Isaiah forty twenty eight. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Psalm 90 verse 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Revelation 1, eight. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Why should we worship? God is eternal. And He is all that is eternal. We according to His Word, are given eternal life only through Christ. See, why should we worship when we see God for who He reveals Himself to be and understand all of life becomes worship? Why should we do this? Why is this so important? Here it is in a nutshell, church. The eternal God of the world, creator of all things, Perfectly holy, 
worthy, sustainer of all things. He has made himself known to you. He has not struck you down in your sin, but instead has made a way for you to be with him. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The question becomes, do you believe that? For those of you who say, yes, I believe that, I commit to saying I believe He is the Most High God, I commit to following after Christ because He is my only hope, do you worship out of that? Do you live that way? If we're really honest, church, worship for many of us has become a box we check. It's become a Sunday morning to do that we show up together and we cross that off and then we go to lunch and that's over. Or maybe it's a morning routine. I wake in the morning and I spend time in worship. Church, family, I exhort you, I challenge you to pause and consider just how much you need Him. And in the midst of your greatest need to bow in worship in everything you do. Because you go, I am unworthy. I'm unable to be worthy of my own accord. And as I understand that and I understand that God has still given me breath in my lungs and not only that, He has adopted me into His family through Christ. That should propel me to worship in all of life. That's biblical worship. If you're here today and you don't really understand what that looks like or what that entails, I challenge you to consider the question today, who do you serve? Yourself or Christ? You will leave here today With a decision in that way. In closing, I want you to think about these two things. What does your worship reveal about who you see God to be? And how you define it? What does that reveal? It's a great way to self-diagnose and self-check. What does your worship, and however you define that, reveal about who you see God to be? And how does that line up with Scripture? But the second one is really where the rubber meets the road. And you're going to start hearing me challenge you uh, with this every week from now on. I want you to think about the two or three people that you're going to take this and share it with this week. And if you've got a notebook and you're taking notes, I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to jot down a couple of names and commit to saying, I'm going to share this with someone this week. Because... How does this become more than just something we check a box on? It becomes a part of who we are. And if we see biblical truth is valuable and important, then I'm going to share it because I care about these people and I want them to know. So jot that down and I want you to think about who are you practically going to share this with this week? Who are you going to open Psalm 145 with and go, hey, have you ever thought about why we should worship? Let's talk about it. Call them on the phone. Send them a text message. Send an email. 
Sit down and have lunch or breakfast or coffee. Invite someone into your home and discuss this. And I'd love to hear how God works through you as the church in taking his word to people. When we see God for who he reveals himself to be, church, all of life becomes worship. May that be true for us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And we're going to close with one song. And we're going to song uh, really focuses in on uh, proclaiming holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. As we read out of Revelation. That he is worthy of our worship. Would you stand with me? Father, you are worthy. We are unworthy. But Lord, I praise you that you have made us worthy through Christ. And yet, God, in our flesh, we are weak. And we are prone to wander. God, open our eyes to see the vastness of your mercy and your grace. That the more we see you for who you've revealed yourself to be, the more we would be propelled into all of life as worship and honor, bowing in humble submission to you because we are nothing apart from you. Father, may this impact more than just today. May it have a ripple effect in our homes, in our community, in our country, and around the world for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.